I want to do research where I believe that other people than just academics can do something with it. I'm driven by finding answers to the questions I'm interested in. I look for helping others to be their full potential. That sounds a little bit uh, like it's a marketing slogan, but in a sense, that is what it is, to, to, to help them to be their best selves. Well, I think, again, what makes all the difference is that I love what I do. When we think about inspiring forms of engagement, the first thought that comes to mind is the fight for great causes, like global warming, like social inequalities, like equal human rights for all. Yet, other forms of engagement exist, perhaps more humble, and perhaps on a less large scale, but nonetheless, just as significant, if not even more so. These are the forms of engagement that Christine de Valk carries helping students grow and develop their potential towards academic excellence, sharing knowledge and insights that offer people different viewpoints to better understand the phenomena that surround them, and above all, just spreading some enthusiasm. This is how Christine intends to have impact. Christine de Valk is Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean and Director of the PhD Programme at HEC Paris. You are listening to the Tomorrow is Our Business podcast, stories of people who choose to have an impact on others' lives. In this episode, we'll be slipping into the shoes of a detective on a hunt for answers to feel the exhilaration that Christine experiences as a researcher exploring new realms of knowledge. We'll be slipping into the shoes of a PhD student whose journey is akin to a quest of oneself. We will listen to the dedication of PhD team members who, for five years, walk alongside doctoral students for whom such human ties are key for success. We will try to accept that as parents, we cannot be perfect, that even academics blessed with scientific rigor must sometimes resign themselves to imperfection. We may have to reconsider, in a simpler way, what truly motivates us in life. Because, as Christine tells us, passion and fulfillment drive engagement. If you were to take a closer look at Christine de Valk's resume, its very first lines will catch your attention. With a Master of Arts in Theatre, Film and Television Studies and the production of a few independent movies up her sleeve, you might have thought that she was closer to walking the glamorous red carpet at the Cannes Film Festival rather than marching into classrooms at a business school. Well, indeed, people ask me often uh, if the theatre, film and television studies that I did uh, was a creative study with the purpose of becoming an actress or a director. And it really isn't because it is a very academic studies. Uh, that uh, comes forth out of uh, uh, studies of literature, so literary text, that is really the, the, the core of it, and then with a particular cultural emphasis on that. In a sense, we can say what I studied was um, media or communication and the cultural side of all that. So we did do, during the studies, a little bit of creativity. Indeed, I played in a theatre play. I produced a, a movie. 
uh, I did some internships also in the film and television world. And indeed, my first job was in the Dutch television world. And th there was such a big uh, uh, disjuncture, if you want, between the studies and what I actually did in the TV world, because the TV world in the Netherlands at that point in time was very much, uh, you start bottom up, right? So my, um, my job... Uh, in one of my internships was I was responsible for for pressing on the button in the studio that said on air we're filming right so and I was sitting there the whole day and I had this 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 walkie-talkie where the, the the lady on the on the scene was telling me yes Christine press the button on air okay we're done filming we'll press the button that was my role so so that was not really really uh my um what I like doing, obviously, it was not intellectual. That was that wasn't, and I my studies was a very intellectual studies in the end, understanding the history of film and theater and television, and understanding uh, how that influences how people think about things, so communication. Um, and I wanted to continue with that, so I ended up uh, going back to the university to study uh, a new medium at the time, relatively new medium, uh, which was the internet. Before moving into the world of internet, let's just stay a little while longer in this world of cinema. Because it was during her year in the Master of Arts, and especially when she was writing her thesis, that Christine discovered her true calling for research, a revelation which took even her by surprise. My master thesis uh, was about the introduction of the cinema in Rotterdam, my hometown. And that was really a research project that was uh, led by my master thesis supervisor, a researcher in uh, in the University of Utrecht. It, actually, it was a couple, so uh, a husband and wife. Um, and they were they were uh, bringing in the European viewpoint on that because extant literature uh, in the film and television domain literature was mostly focused on the United States. So we knew a lot about the introduction of the cinema in the United States, but we didn't know much about how that may have been different in, in Europe. So they had a large research project around it and gave a course on it. And I was very much uh, intrigued by it. Uh, and decided to continue working on it for my master thesis. So I really looked at the introduction of the cinema in Rotterdam by going through archives, uh, looking at um, the, the makeup of the, the streets, if you want. Huh? I, I looked at, uh, uh, on the street, what kind of different uh, stores. Was it houses? Was it residential? Was it theater? Was there entertainment? How, how was it located? I looked at photos in the archive to understand how the how the, the font looked, how, how the cinema was positioning itself. And now I'm a marketing professor, so I have different words today at my disposal that I didn't have when I was doing my film and television studies. But in a sense, I studied, again, market creation. Uh, I studied the market creation of the cinema in Rotterdam. I looked in the newspapers on the pricing and how, how, what kind of marketing messages they ha had, who they were targeting. It was extremely interesting. So, so I learned many things. I learned that research is something very interesting, that I was very interested in that. I felt like a detective. So bit by bit by bit, 
pieces of the puzzle became clearer to me. I had a map on, on the wall of my room where, where I indicated where the cinemas were located. And then I, it, it was really like this, what you see in the television series with CSI. But I was doing that, uh, discovering the history of the cinema in Rotterdam. I, I went to the archives, to, how do you call that, uh, where, where I was looking at the, the linkages between all the families. And, and you, I realized that everybody was married with one another. And it was just so interesting. And I made hypothesis. Oh, now I see this and this and this. I think it could be like that. And then the next week, I would find the proof in the archive that what I had thought was true. Uh, that, that indeed it ended up that the pieces of the puzzle became state clear. I loved that. I loved that. I loved that truly, completely. So I learned that that I wanted to do that, and I learned that I'm good at it. Uh, I learned that I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm I have this tendency to to want to go to the bottom of things, that I don't mind spending days and days in the archive by myself, not talking to anybody, just busy with my data, with my stuff, and then constructing stories out of that. And the role of my supervisor was extremely important there too, although they, they let me complete freedom in, in collecting my data. They were not there with me in the archives, and they were not there when I was writing and making the story in my mind, let's say. But but they inspired me to do this. They encouraged me to do this. They, they trusted that I could do it. And that is, I think, what I needed to, to continue doing it. You must have understood by now, what drives Christine is research. Her passion lies in finding the answers to interesting questions, as she describes so simply. But beyond these personal motivations, what is her ambition as an academic? What kind of impact is she looking to have as a researcher in management in a business school? I think in general, what we do as researchers in management is that we, that we work on the forefront of knowledge in these fields. So for me, those are, by definition, <laughs> societal issues even if it may be sometimes a bit by far, right? But so I think the kind of research that we do, because we do research in management and research about organizations and research about financial structures, those have a lot of impact beyond academia. I guess what is important to me in my research is probably that I want to do research where I believe that other people than just academics can do something with it. So I, I'm a consumer behavior researcher, but I've never published in the top consumer behavior journal uh, because I, I have more typically uh, leaned towards journals that have much more of a management orientation, uh, managerial implications section that comes natural to me. And perhaps that is something that I've learned after these 16 years in HEC and having spent a lot of time in executive education and MBA also, and even now our pre-experienced students in the master programs, they, they have working experience. So, so they force you to, to, to translate your research insights in stuff to what does it mean for me as a manager? Um, to be clear, I, I don't think what I, what I do in my research is that I'm focused on what can we do so that uh, companies can earn more money. It's not at all that. My research is about consumer behavior. It is about uh, social media. It's about how consumers voice on social media. And I, I'm very much a proponent for this uh, 
democratization of marketplace power. That is what I teach my students, that is what I teach my executive participants, the co-creation of value, how can you include consumers in, in the value creation that you do as a company, this equalizing uh, a more equal position of consumers and producers in the marketplace and to engage in that marketplace in an ethical way. So if that is what you mean with, with societal impact, yes, I guess that is, that is something that I, I look for. As she had mentioned briefly earlier, Christine started her research on virtual communities right at the beginning, when the internet was born. Curious by nature, she studied the subject from various angles, such as consumer experiences, member participation or satisfaction, and electronic word of mouth. Today, she has conceptualized the electronic word of mouth process and its effects on sales. She has also developed research around challenging themes like showbiz becomes showbuzz, how viral diffusion changes the traditional meaning-making process of a rising star, or marketing as a means to transformative social conflict resolution. But wait a second. We asked her, all this research that she's doing, who is it intended for? Managers? Consumers? Marketers? Bloggers? The general public interested in the digital world? If I give you the, tr the honest answer, I do it for me. I write for me because I'm the detective and I want to find the answer to something and that is what I write up. So that's the honest answer. <laughs> and then, of course, the more political answer, which also comes into place, because in the end, uh, you do want your papers to get published, so you conform writing in a way that other researchers find it interesting. Uh, and that gives pleasure, obviously, when other people cite you and all this kind of stuff. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, no, I, the, 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 the real... The, the <laughs> it's me that I write the research for. I'm driven by finding answers to the questions I'm interested in. And the result of that is indeed that my research probably is not always very... nor strategic, nor programmatic. I can be a little bit all over the place because I'm interested in a lot of things. I have, I'm using a lot of different methods, so I'm not necessarily an expert in... in I, I do quite a lot of qualitative research, but not only. I also have used experiments. I'm working a lot these days, actually, with much more quantitatively trained researchers. Because if you want to know, if you want to know things, you need to use all the means that you have available to find the answer. So I don't start a research project thinking, how am I going to get this published? at all and that is probably sometimes i think not not really clever because the competition is tough so so perhaps i should do that more that is what i sometimes tell my phd students that they should do a bit more strategic programmatic things compared to what i did but you know i've had the chance or the luxury perhaps still right i think that is how we need to see it the, 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 the academic world has become increasingly competitive and the luxury that i had being a phd student and even in, in the early phases of my research career at hec uh, where where i could afford to just do what i really wanted to do without being too concerned about getting it published and getting it cited and all these things that are also very important but and that happened to me but that kind of happened rather than that i planned for it Placing her curiosity and her thirst for answers above boosting her ego has, in fact, allowed Christine to earn the recognition she deserves within the academic sphere.
She took home many awards and honours like the Best Research Paper Award or the Citations of Excellence Award, all of which attest to the impact and influence of her research in the fields of management and marketing. It's a pleasure when your work gets recognised like this, but it is not something I, I strategically try to, to go after. So again, there, I think there's a lot of researchers that are much more strategic there and that would submit their papers uh, to all sorts of award-winning things, and I have never really done that, uh, which is perhaps completely stupid as a marketing social media researcher where you know that the kind of visibility is important, but I've, it, that has never been something that, 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 that drove me, let's say. Now, that said, obviously, yes, it's very nice that you get recognition for your work. It is nice because doing research and being the Sherlock Holmes detective is uh, is tough. It's not easy. It's hard work. It is a lot, a lot of revising, a lot of putting yourself into questions. It, it's it's not easy. So if at the end of the day there is there's people that say, "Wow, what you did there! That that has really, really changed my vision of stuff." Then that is yes, that is a recognition that that of course I welcome and I'm happy and proud about that. While playing detective, Christine also runs a parallel life as director of the PhD program at HEC Paris. She runs the program and also personally supervises the thesis of PhD students, like she has been doing since her arrival at HEC Paris back in 2004, something she enjoys with as much passion and dedication as her own research. So as a PhD advisor, uh, the way I see that is, is, I think, in that sense, very much inspired by how my master thesis advisor guided me, mostly based on providing me trust that I could do it. And I think that is what I try to do with my PhD students as well. So I do not want them to answer my research questions. I do not want them to work on on, on stuff that I have figured out already for them. I want them to be able to find out what they find interesting and to help them as best as I can to find the answers to the questions they find interesting. Um, so that is the broad, broader philosophy. Of course, then there is a lot of technical skills in a sense that you need when you do research so there I also would not hesitate to spend a lot of time with my students together to write together uh, to uh, develop uh, the data collection instruments together all these kinds of stuff so there I try to be available and, and over time, obviously, it is it is about giving them more and more freedom to 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 do to do as they wish to take that that possession of their own research question, their own research papers. So that is what you do as a as a as a PhD advisor. I think I'm I'm also a, a bit of mother. Huh? My PhD students are kind of like kids. <laughs> that you, it's the same, right? Where you you try to give them the the means to 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 be happy in life. So. To be successful as academics, that's what you do with your PhD student, and you spend a lot of time with them, because a PhD trajectory is five years, six years sometimes, from the day that they enter the program until the day they graduate, but then it's not over, because you continue to work with your students uh, as co-authors. And typically, if, if uh, there's other people in, in academia that see it like this, and I agree with that vision, is that, that you are engaged with that student until tenure. 
so that is another six or seven years after they graduate, where you help them to get their, their research papers published, where you continue to be a confidante, where you continue to give them feedback on how to deal with political issues within their departments and all this kind of stuff. And then my role as the, the PhD program director is that, but on a much larger scale, where there the role of the director or, or more broadly speaking of the PhD program team is to create a condition in which our students can thrive. My name is Fei Gao. I'm a Chinese and I got my bachelor and master degrees uh, in psychology from China. And simply put, I enjoy uh, observing lives and reflecting things, creating new thoughts and knowledge and sharing them with people. This is just what PhDs do, right? So naturally, I further my studies through a PhD. We spoke to Fei, HEC Paris PhD graduate in 2020, who is today assistant professor at Bentley University in the United States. He told us about his unforgettable experience within the program. This year uh, taught me a lot, you know. Um, this year absolutely taught me to be uh, persistent, uh, be positive, and hang in there all the time. You know that you simply face so many setbacks and frustrating moments in the past few years, and long time uh, lack of positive reinforcement, keep receiving rejections all the time. I still remember that the first time I received a rejection from a journal submission, it took me more than one week or a couple of weeks to recover from the frustrations. But now, I mean, receiving a rejection will not even let me down for one minute. See, the experience makes me to uh, become mature and uh, uh, teach me to know how to manage my emotions. And of course, all my gains um, are, are from the help of uh, my supervisors and my colleagues here, and also my uh, PhD peers. The biggest feeling uh, I have about HEC is that this is a very, very empathetic place. People have uh, here are truly uh, perspective taking and caring, not only including my supervisors and uh, colleagues in academic department, I mean, everyone, like our PhD office, teams, team members, such as Christine, Brita, Melanie, Francoise, they gave me countless help in the past few years on so many aspects. I may also need another day or night to detail all of this, but you basically don't need to worry about anything, literally anything, because uh, there is always someone there helping you. Francoise is one of the members of the PhD team that Faye talked about. She describes her role in supporting the PhD students throughout the program. Through this journey, I play a role of a, a kind of guide, you know, to uh, remind them of their different milestones. There is also a role of, uh, of support, trying to make their life easier. But we are a team for that. So uh, listening to them when necessary, being available. And uh, while our program is a small one, and uh, so we have the opportunity to know our students pretty well, uh, which is really a, a real chance for, for everyone, I think. So we're trying to take care of them as much as we can. We have to keep in mind that uh, most of our students, PhD students, are far from their home, far from their home country, 
and uh, they can feel uh, lonely sometimes uh, through their uh, courses, doctoral courses. They have ups and downs with a period of uh, uh, doubts and uh, they can get uh, discouraged. They also can uh, feel some pressure on themselves, but they, they put themselves some pressure, you know, regarding uh, their uh, progress in their dissertation, etc. So, uh, very often just to uh, be present and be available to discuss if they need uh, is, uh, I think, is sufficient for, for them. Britta is also part of the team managing the PhD program, which she calls one of a kind. She explains, that which renders her work so unique and intense boils down to two things. On one hand, her boss Christine, whose personality enables leadership with empathy. And on the other hand, this long-term relationship forged with the PhD students and all the human and emotional implications that this creates. They are neither psychologists nor mothers to these students, Brida says, but close. Logistically, we help them a lot, and it's easy to help them. Now, on, on the supporting side, personal supporting side, it's a little more difficult because, of course, as Francois said, we, we are there, we listen to them, we, we have to understand all the time their problems, and they work a lot under pressure, so we must be very patient also when we explain to them that we have some rules and they must respect the rules, although we understand their problems and, and sometimes it can be very stressful for them and then we just say, okay, come on, sit, sit down, and then we take half an hour. It can even be more sometimes where we discuss how can they continue, you know, this PhD life and, and uh, how, how can they get up again when they have been down. And, and it's, for me, it's very interesting also because you learn a lot about people. Work in the PhD program, you need to be a very positive person. You have to be optimistic because otherwise it can be very hard for us there is no psychology in our, you know, we are not psychologists, so there is no... It's just that it can be very difficult to listen to their problems. And when something, you know, it's serious happens, it can be very serious as, oh, I, I want... I applied for publishing a paper and finally it got refused. And that for the first time, as Fed said, this, this is the end of the world. Oh, it's not, it's just the start, but uh, it's, it's very difficult for them to understand. And then we have to do, talk a lot. And then I think that as, as Melanie, Francoise and myself, as we are not academics, there is no judgment in their work. You know, we are just listen to them and talk and try to get them up again. And I found, I find this, this job really interesting because they are so... You know, one PhD journey they is not like the other one. They are so different people, so different origins, so different different ideas, and 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 um, yeah, they are not our children, but kind of we are participating in raising them up to be new professors. I sincerely appreciate their help. You know, they are completely empathetic, warm, friendly people. You know. And uh, we have uh, a very, very good uh, and smooth relationship. And I was very touched uh, 
for a lot of moments, you know, in the past、uh, few years, and I truly、uh, treat them as my family members. There is but one great moment at the end of this transformative PhD journey. This moment catalyzes plenty of emotions: accomplishment, pride, admiration, recognition. It is called the PhD thesis defense. I think, indeed, the biggest satisfaction that you get when you when you are there. I am always there at the start of their dissertation defense. So that is really the last two hours. Of their PhD journey, and they come out as doctors, right? And I'm always extremely proud when I see them standing, or now for this last year when I see them on their Zoom screens,、uh, as as uh, as uh, you know, as 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 researchers, because when they come into the program, they're students. You know, they <laughs> forgive my expression, but sometimes they have this. Kind of the metaphor of the baby fat, right? They're students. They're they're still that. They 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 have a lot of energy, but they don't know exactly how to how to how to focus that.、Uh, all PhD students go through this phase where they want to explain the world, and then bit by bit by bit, and all of them go through phases where they're completely desperate and where they completely believe that this was the worst choice that they made in their life, and they will never going to be able to finish it. Uh, and all this kind of stuff, and then you see them there,、uh, you know, at the at the start of their dissertation de- defense, where they, where they did it, they did it, they finished this dissertation, they're about to defend it, and they will defend it. And I'm telling them exactly what my thesis supervisor told me at that point point in time, right, Christine, you're here now not to be nice to the jury and to say, oh, this is a good remark. No, you defend because you're the expert, and you see how they have taken this、um, confidence. In what they know, and that I think is is、uh, that is beautiful to see that. While Christine calls this a beautiful moment, for others it is nostalgic. The thesis defense day is their day, and、uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, I, I have different feelings regarding this. I、uh, I'm very happy for them, of course, also proud and admiring and.、Uh, Since、uh, there are so so much work and、uh, so many sacrifices too, and、uh, well, I'm、uh, a little bit also nostalgic, uh, since uh, I I always remember the day when they integrated the the first the the, the PhD program, you know, and、uh, some years、uh, earlier, and、uh, well, it's always a, a good thing to see them uh, uh, completed this.、Uh, This、uh, last step, and、uh, well, to see their evolution. I'm trying to participate in in all the thesis defenses, even the ones that I don't understand the word, you know, economics or finance. But I I just want to be there because I I admire them to see how they present and how they answer the the questions, the relation with the jury, and and、uh, how they handle all this. I th- I think it's incredible. And I really love when 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 the jury they gives the result because it's it it's not cannot always be positive or although it is because they are very good but I think when they give comments and positive comments on the thesis I'm really proud of them I did, I'm not for so much but I'm really proud of of this 
this end, this dissertation that they have suffered for for five years. I remember this summer where we had this confinement, but Francois and myself, we were here on campus and we went to one of the defenses. And uh, everything was online and the jury, they gave her these nice words. And, and then she, she made a short speech also where she thanks everybody and, and uh, she cried. And Francoise and me, we cried too. You know? so this was so nice. We are so happy on, for, for them. So, one chapter closes. Another one begins for these young professors and researchers. For Christine, this chapter could be summed up to these words, excellence, fulfillment, and impact. The ambition as the director of the PhD program is, is really clearly to prepare those students to become researchers in top universities, which is uh, not necessarily something that happens in a lot of other PhD programs. There's a lot of PhD programs where people will just go back to professional or just there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> they, they go back to a, a professional field. And HEC, we have a, a little uh, jewel of a PhD program from the eyes of, uh, now I'm talking eh, with my eyes as a, as a researcher myself, where we, where we train our future colleagues uh, and where we train them to do this innovative, edgy, creative, contribution-focused research. Uh, so what I hope, what I hope for my students is that they get hired into an institution as I got hired by HEC so that they can continue to, to find these pieces of the puzzle all through their life. Uh, that's, what I, that's, that's the mission, and indeed our PhD program is very much targeted towards that, huh? to, to, to enable the students to get the training, to get the network, to get the exposure, so that they can indeed uh, become uh, researchers on tenure track in, in schools around the world. But exactly what could be an innovative, cutting-edge, creative and contribution-focused research Faye gives us an example. In terms of research, as I already uh, briefly mentioned about my research interest, I've been working on the domain to uh, increase consumer uh, welfare, and also I try to uh, increase uh, societal welfare. For example, now I'm working on something to uh, develop some interventions to reduce uh, potion sizes, which will have an effect uh, on obesity, right? And also I'm working on uh, medical crowdfunding stuff, um, pro-social behaviors uh, in the context of digital marketing, basically. Um, um, of course, I have my theoretical questions there, but uh, at an application level, I, I really have passion try to uh, increase uh, uh, the funds that those people who cannot afford medical expenses to receive. In general, uh, I want to do something have big uh, social impact research. Yeah. When we met Faye, he told us that the reasons he chose to study in France was the critical and scientific thinking of French education, its prestige in the eyes of a Chinese, and the influence of the French culture. We discussed with Christine about this cultural dimension of education. Given that the PhD qualification originates from the United States, we asked her 
if she considered that there should be a European way to train future researchers. If you think about academia, it is, uh, it's actually quite complicated, but we, we, we tend to look at academia as something extremely global, right? We are supposed to be working with everybody in the world on the edge of our field and, and all of us contribute and try to push that, that same edges. Perhaps it is to some extent the myth. It is something that I've realized with this COVID crisis where I, at, at my amazement, have observed that in all these countries in Europe, uh, everybody is doing their own studies again not going for the insights that may have been gathered in one country, but believing that they need to redo their studies in their own country to figure out if it also works like this. And so in the end, perhaps research is not as, as global as we may believe it. And it's also true that the, the academic world and, and particularly the top journals in, most, in, in, our, in a lot of our disciplines are very American-based, American-located. And if I more in particular look at my own field of research, which is this cultural consumer research where the setting is very important so where we go and as i say the, the paintball okay we go to the setting of the paintball uh, and then if we look at the number of papers that are published and that investigate this american context uh, there when i see that i see yes no like my master thesis researchers we cannot because we've studied the introduction of the cinema in the united states now say that we know how it works no how was it in europe Right? If we think about societal issues, those are so complex, uh, where the local becomes a very important, meaningful factor to truly understand. I'm not saying that we should have a European vision, because we have a lot of students in our program that come from Asia or from India. But I think what we should uh, allow those students, for example, to do is to, to bring in the focus on their country and their local uh, context because they're probably better equipped than others to understand that particularly thing. That is what I think we should do in our programs to f to push our students to to acknowledge one way or the other that the local complexity of understanding things. Throughout this interview with Christine, we were fascinated by her energy, her enthusiasm, her passion, and her engagement whether it be for her work as a researcher or in her role as a professor, a PhD student supervisor and a PhD program director. But Christine is also a mother of three children, a position that, as a woman myself, calls upon this ability to juggle between these diverse roles. I think juggling is indeed the right word, so it's juggling. Though I think, again, what makes all the difference is that I love what I do, so... Most of the time. So, uh, there's also days and a part of my job that I find less interesting. But, but uh, when you're your Sherlock Holmes in terms of your research, but also when in, in, in my role as, as the director of the PhD program and working with my colleagues in the PhD office team, where we're there helping these students to reach their full potential, that is just gratifying. So making a lot of hours there is, is really okay, it's really not, not an issue. So how do I juggle it? I think I married the right man, <laughs> the right husband, who is very supportive and very, uh, well, he does a lot. Uh, he does a lot. Huh? At one point in time, uh, the kids need to be brought to school and they need to be picked up and groceries need to be done and food needs to be cooked. And more and more, uh, he is doing all of that so that I can just focus on my research and my work. 
and then to be fair, also this last year has been, in that sense for me, uh, actually a pretty good year because I've been at home a lot. So I've seen my kids probably much more than I, I, I did the one or two years before that because I'm there, I'm there when they come home. So it, it's easier to, to then have this half an hour where you, where you chat and that kind of stuff. And just last week when where there was the confinement, so we have the lunch together. And so, so actually, it, we've, it's been easier. So I think one, one thing also for that, probably something you can say to, to, to all the young parents or all these people that are juggling so many different things is I learned over time not to want to be perfect. So you need to accept that. That is difficult for researchers. It's difficult. I see that with my PhD students. This, you, you kind of need to be a little bit wacky if you want to do this, this, this work. And a lot of us are, are perfectionists. So that at one point in time you need to drop. Okay, you need to drop that. You cannot be. My house is not always clean. My kids have, uh, you know, hair that is sometimes too long. And you know, <laughs> my kids don't speak Dutch. Okay, so I'm Dutch. My husband is French, and it was too much. There was too much going on in our lives with work and everything. And and it's a myth that that kids learn all these languages just like that. No, they need to put effort into it, as does the parents. And there I didn't, I needed to make trade-offs. I didn't have time to do it. It wasn't important enough. So, so try not to be too perfectionist. And, and I think that has helped a lot. Like with all our guests, we conclude this interview by asking Christine, what causes her indignation? The answer to that is what makes, what upsets me if people are selfish. If people are just working for themselves and for their own glory, are not generous, not with their time, not with their advice. So I'm talking, I guess, now really in the context of the academic world. Uh, but that is something that that I, I, I don't appreciate in others. And then perhaps it's linked to that other question of the impact that you look for. Uh, I look for helping others to be their full potential. That sounds a little bit uh, like it's a marketing slogan, but... In a sense, that is what it is to 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 help them to be who, to be their best selves, if you want. And for that, you need to be generous. For that, you need to be willing to spend time. You need to be willing to give. You need to be willing to listen, to understand what it is that they need. Take time for other people. And and I think it is the opposite of all that that I would not appreciate in other people if they don't really listen, if they don't try to understand what is. What is it that, that the people who they work with or the students that they are responsible for, what they need? So I can have thesis meetings with my students where in the end we don't end up talking about the thesis at all because they need to talk about other things. That's what they need at that point in time. And that's what they need to, after that, then continue and, and work on other things. So, so the impact that I'm looking for is probably on a very small micro scale, having an impact on those people the team that I work with so that they can do their jobs uh, to the best possible way, create the conditions, not micromanage them, but, but be there and help them do their job in a good way, uh, to be there for the students so that they can can grow and, and, and be that Sherlock Holmes. 
And then for my students in my, my courses or the participants that we meet in executive education, indeed being able to give them some insights, some enthusiasm, perhaps to, to allow them to see things differently from how they saw it before, and then hoping that they will do something with that. That is the impact I would, that I'm after. This podcast was brought to you by HEC Paris Business School. Tune in to all the episodes of Tomorrow is Our Business on your favorite podcast platforms or find them on our website hec.edu. Thank you.